Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hello! From the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Handsome with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include Damn, Hell, Nuts, Butter, McGee, Doodle, Captain, and Toot Toot, here comes the diarrhea parade. Listening discretion is advised. 
to Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. Every month we dig into the archives and watch a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks. We watch it and have a very spoilery conversation about it. Today we're talking about Don't Think Twice. This was Pete's pick from May 26th, 2016. Today is September 13th, 2018, and Don't Think Twice is available to stream on Netflix. Before we go any further, we do want to encourage you to explore our ever-expanding back catalog for this show and its sibling shows over at thenextreel.com. Over there, Pete and Andy have escaped the apes and are about to be starting their 1968 crime series. And the film board is being hunted down by The Predator, which is also starring Keegan-Michael Key, who is featured in Don't Think Twice. If you haven't checked out that film board episode yet, be sure to download it and give it a listen. And you can find all of this and even more over at thenextreel.com. So, JJ, I wanted to explore sort of the path that these films take when Pete and Andy pick them as a trailer and they'll talk about the release date and, you know, how excited they are to get out to see them in theaters. And I wonder often... Well, did this make it to theaters? How long was it in in theaters? Because we're discovering it here on streaming. So I did a little research and found that this one specifically had its premiere at South by Southwest on March 13th, 2016. and went on to screen at the Tribeca Film yep. Festival in April 16th of 2016 and had its theatrical release July 22nd. And so it's opened on one screen in New York, did sort of that limited release, but raked in $90,126 on that one screen. Wow, that's a lot. It it broke the 2016 per-screen record that had been set just the week prior by Woody Allen's Cafe Society. Which probably did the same thing, right? Just opened on yes. the one screen. Okay, just gotcha. opened on the one, on the one. It went on to be released in 175 theaters and was in theaters for 129 days and had a total domestic gross of $4.4 million, And then... Later that year in December is when it got its DVD release. So this one tracked a pretty standard small independent film, you know, release, limited release, expands to a small number of theaters across the country, you know, makes a couple million. And about six months later, you can pick it up on DVD or streaming services. So I think this was a case of if you weren't in one of those big cities, this was not a film that was going to be available to you. To go see, no matter how big of a fan you may be, with only 175 screens, probably not playing in the city near you unless you're near a large metropolitan area. Yeah, and I remember seeing the trailer, but I I never saw, I never thought it was ever available to me to go see in the theater. I don't remember that being impossible. Yeah, it's one that I I do recall uh, the trailer. I remember Pete talking about it, saying he was excited that it was going to be a Keegan-Michael Key thing uh, at first, and then saw that it turns out it has a story with a little bit of heart, and seeing that it was written and directed by Mike Birbiglia, that he thinks is, you know, a really funny guy. He's done a couple other uh, films has been on NPR, has a, a working relationship with Ira Glass, who is a producer on Don't Think Twice. And Andy said he liked the feel of the trailer and liked the characters in their search for something greater, which I think gets us into what this movie is really about. Because it's, I think it could be a little off-putting for some people when you get something that's insidery about a, a specific... Uh, entertainment industry. In this case, we're looking at an impo- improv comedy troupe. If you're if you're not a comedian, if you don't have theatrical friends, this you may think, well, I don't really connect with this world. It's these people are funny, but everybody knows Weekend Live. <laughs> Weekend Live. I so I did see an interview with Mike Birbiglia, and he said that he was 
very concerned that uh, Lauren Michaels was going to like sue him because of Weekend Live and because, yeah. because of his depiction yes. of Lauren so he Michaels was on... <laughs> as Tim his Tim so he was so he was talking with with Seth Meyers yeah. about this and said oh you know he had, had talked with Seth about this idea for the movie and said you know yeah. do you think Lauren's going to be you know upset is he going to sue me and, and Seth said to Mike he's not going to see your movie Seth he's would be the one that would know that's for sure. <laughs> Exactly. But it, it does, you know, everybody is familiar with Saturday Night Live. So you have a weekend yeah. live show. It's the the big, you know, show that comedians aspire to be on. Well, and they even use the font. Yes. Oh. And I mean, like the photos. Everything like they, tells they, they, you. It, it, was, it was very clear. And then I was joking about Tim being Lauren, <laughs> but I mean, they even tried to like sort of mo- not mock, but like mug his personality a little bit. Yes. Oh yes, in this sort of like subdued and really like uh, low key, sort of just kind of yes, irrever- like a little bit of reverence, <laughs> yes. but totally off the wall. Yeah, like yeah. So, what did you think of this? Did it deliver what you expected with it, this type of film? So usually when I come to a trailer rewind movie, I, ha- I don't really know much about it. But this one I had, you know, I had some expectations with it, I, I guess, on the front end because I had seen trailers for it. And um, and I I don't consider myself to be a particularly funny person, but I do um, I do follow improv. There was a time when I was in high school where I uh, probably three out of every four weeks in a month, I would go to an improv comedy joint in Minneapolis at a place called uh, the Limelight Theater where they did comedy sports. And I did that so much that improv became kind of something that I I, I was just a fan of. I ne- I've never done it myself again because I don't particularly consider myself funny, but I'm I'm aware of sort of that lifestyle. And some of the people in that troupe too, even from Minneapolis, did make a little bit of a name for themselves, not on Weekend Live, but uh, but in in film and whatnot. Um, so uh, so it was interesting to me to 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 take in this movie because I'm a fan of what they do, and I think that interestingly. When you watch this movie, it's it's really about the lives. It's definitely not about the comedy. And that's something that was a little bit confusing for me in that um, there wasn't anything that was particularly funny in the movie, but it wasn't meant to be. And even the sketches that they wrote for the purpose of telling the dramatic story in this movie weren't necessarily particularly funny. And I think that was kind of the point, really, is that improv and and the subculture that they're living in this uh, improv world is not meant necessarily just for the laughs. It's meant for the for the group. They talk about that with the rules of improv and when they open the movie and stuff like that. So in general, the movie was a little bit confusing to me as an audience member, but I really liked it. I really thought it was a very interesting dramedy uh, with you know, with some opportunity for laughs, if laughs come easy for you. Otherwise, the drama in the film was really, really interesting to me, and I found myself actually getting, uh, getting sort of tricked into the suspense quite a bit. I was along for the emotional human ride with the movie most of the time. Whenever they were going to have a difficult scene or a difficult confrontation with another person in this film, I found that my heartbeat was actually going up with them, and I think that's what you want from a drama. So I was happy with those aspects of it. Um, in general, I'm not sure how I feel about the movie. I don't know who I'd recommend it to. I think it, only people that really like stand-up or really like comedy or are objectively fans of those things too um, because it's a small film about the human nature of performers. And I think uh, while that's great and fun to watch, I don't know how many people are actually going to enjoy taking that in. Uh, did you feel similarly about that? Well, yes. I think the the cast of this film can be a bit deceptive because you have recognizable 
faces and names. So if you're going to cast, you know, Keegan Michael Key, the people knew from from Key and Peele, and uh, right. uh, Gillian Jacobs from Community, and then if you're oh, that's what she's she's from, she's okay, from Community. It. So you've got you know some big names from you know big. TV shows that were really popular. Uh, you also have uh, Kate Micucci, who has been on, she's, I think Comedy Central has been on a couple of shows, podcasts, so a, a lot of, you know, names that you are going to expect to laugh at. Mike Burbigley as well, do, you know, stand-up. And you get a story that is really punches you in the gut, I think, with a story about about human condition, about the struggles of aspiration, of, of reaching perhaps beyond your grasp and seeing the struggles and frustrations of people that have committed to something that they are passionate about and not reaching the level of success that they are hoping for and what choices right. they ultimately have to make and as they reflect on where they are in their lives and and what possible paths they can take is not something that you're going to be laughing at there there right. are there are humorous moments in the did you laugh though what was there a joke that you laughed at in particular uh I, you know some of the improv there's i wouldn't say laughing out loud uproariously you know some some good chuckles i think in some of the improv pieces because it, it reminds me of you know shows like uh whose line is it anyway where you, you're or if you've been to sure. comedy sports you recognize some of these these setups and just looking at them you know on the spot run with something you know that it's not going to be the the scripted comedy where it's going to be set up set up punchline and payoff it's it's that in the moment reactionary humor so it's it's a different type of comedy that that I can enjoy. So I, I did find yeah. those moments humorous, but not, not big laugh moments. No. I mean, that's, that's how I felt about it too. I felt like actually that the comedy was a little bit watered down on purpose to give us more of the human drama that you were talking about. Hi, I'm Sam. Uh, Miles. I'm Bill. Allison. Lindsay. Jack. And we are the comedy. Yeah. So everything you see tonight is going to be improvised. And this show is really all about you guys. So, we want to know, has anybody out here had a particularly hard day? And uh, something actually hard, like not like your roommate ate your yogurt. It was still shitty when you ate my yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead. Uh, I'm looking for an apartment and it sucks. Why, like, why specifically does it suck? The only one I can afford has the bathroom in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> Hi, great. Hi. Okay, so as you can see, we have uh, uh, there's two bedrooms. Lovely. Uh, here is the kitchen. Nice. Uh, there's a beautiful bathroom. Uh, is that a toilet? Yes, that is. The, the, to the toilet is in the kitchen. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yes. who are they? They, they are... <laughs> They, uh, they are orphans. They are orphans. Uh, did, uh, did you say orphans? Yes, the apartment comes with orphans. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, does the landlord mind if I paint? Well, you can't paint the orphans, no. Uh, but you can but you can paint the walls. This is the yes. place I was telling you about, baby. It has a lot of character. Oh, hello, Melinda. Good to this see you. This is my husband. Stanley, I'm pleasure to meet you. It. Oh, it's great. Hey, well, I, guys, this is it. It's going to sell today. You got to go for it. It's going to sell today. I'll take oh, it. Oh, no, I'm going to take it. No, we'll pay 30% of our house. Oh, well, I'll pay 50% of our house. We'll pay 100% of our house. Well, 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 I'll pay $2 million for this apartment. For the, really? Yes. Okay. What yeah. makes you want this apartment so badly? It's the orphans. 
I want to raise them. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, as I, I had seen this, uh, this is the second time I've seen it because the first time I just really didn't know what to make of it. So an opportunity to revisit it because at first I was wondering why, why this film felt so depressing to me the first huh. time I watched sure. it, expecting a comedy and getting something that's more serious. And then the second time knowing the type of story it is and then saying, okay, let me, let me really key into what these emotional arcs are of these characters because it's it's really a yeah. story about you know well each member of the troop sort of has different paths they take but i think one of the key pieces is about you know are is it possible for somebody to really be a, a gracious friend when someone you're close with or are working with is successful in a way that you want to be and ultimately you realize you can't that's that's not you that's not your talent or your skill. And how do you deal with that disappointment and frustration and to see how each of these characters sort of in the troop resolve that because one of them leaves, that's going to, how is the group going to react? Do they, yeah. you know, they're there because they all want the same thing and they're hoping they can ride his coattails there. And when that is not a possibility, they have to really reflect on who they are and what they're going to do. And to me, that was, a more enjoyable, you know, second viewing to, to really examine each of these characters and their, their responses to this of. I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of felony when we talk about, this is far less, uh, less sort of intense in its drama, but in the fact that no one's really an antagonist, there's no one who's a villain in this movie. There's just a whole lot of people who are having a whole lot of difficulty being human and dealing with the human aspects of success and failure. Yes, exactly. And, and even with with Jack, Keegan-Michael Key, who ultimately, you know, gets the call to audition for Weekend Live, gets cast, and then, you know, that, that's the dream that everybody's wanted. And then realizing that yep. that's just as hard work, if not harder work. And then there's the moment where he goes into Tim's office to, to talk about, you know, possibly bringing on, you know, some of his friends as writers and, and being told, well, you know, you're, you're not that pure talent, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're not that. And, and you're somebody that maybe is better writing for themselves and sort of being cut down a peg of, yeah, you're, you're on this show, but you're not the best of the best. You're not all that. And you're going to have to continue working to, to keep it here. And he gets cut out of a sketch, he's told. Right. And right at that moment. Right at that moment. And then, you know, he's he's got to plumb the depths of his creativity. And to, it leads up to, like, this critical confrontation where he creates a, a sketch based on an improv piece that we see earlier on in the show, which, you know, he's got to come up with something. So, oh, yeah, our group did this. And now he's going to use that which completely offends the rest of the group because that's like this violation of what improv is all about. And I, I yeah. think uh, character Bill says we've been replaced by Ben Stiller because it's, <laughs> you got to write a sketch for Ben Stiller. What do you do? Oh, this, this worked for us. The group. I'm going to steal this and to see again, you've got the group that wants the dream, but we're even seeing from that other side of reaching the dream doesn't mean it's, you know, this golden path. It's still, the hard work and, you know, exceedingly right. hard work for, for Jack. Uh, but he's content with that type of work. Uh, I, I think that's the, the piece we get from him is he's, he's seen that as the next progression in his career. And maybe it's more work than he expected. But I think he's 
he comes to terms with that to say, okay, well, this is where I'm now and I'm going to have to work hard here just like I did before, but that's, that's how I'm going to keep myself moving forward is I continue to the next challenge and I'll work that and, and go from there. And I think that, you know, if we were to extend this story, he would be that guy that, you know, maybe is a, a player on there, works his way up and, you know, maybe five, six years down the road, you know, leaves weekend life to go become a movie star in, in some comedies with, you know, maybe some moderate, moderate success. That's the idea. But yeah. the two sketches we saw of him were not funny. No. I mean, the, <laughs> the ticket, ticket taker, which becomes like this iconic character that people are asking for, is not funny at all. No, it, no. Which the, his uh, improv troupe agrees with and comments on all the time. They're like, that's not really it's, funny. It sounds like it, it should be on, funny. Right? It sounds like it should be funny, it's, but it's not. Yes. No. Yeah. I don't even get the joke. No. But the, yeah. And I think, and again, I think that's the point. But the other, and then the other one, the whole, they stole the orphans in the bathtub sketch yes. that came out of spontaneity within the improv thing was much more funny on the improv stage than it was when done on weekend live. So yes. um, I understand you, uh, you forecasting that he's going to become uh, successful. However, his performance is going to have to uh, increase significantly. He's going to need some better writing to be able to, uh, to jump up. Well, maybe th there's this little show. What was it on comedy central uh, key and peel? He might be <laughs> on that. That show's pretty good. He'd be on something like that. Maybe he could act. Yes. Maybe he could go on that show. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. I, I I agree, and I think I think what it does a great job of, and I, I there's no reason for me to be critical of the comedy for any reason because it's not the purpose of the movie. But um, I think that those pieces are really interesting, and I think really taking a look at how everyone examines where they are in life from beginning of this movie to the end, uh, and how they define success, I think is is something that's really beautiful in this movie, regardless of of its size. Yeah, as I as I watch it the second time, trying to sort of map out the character arcs, the story. What you know, how is this film really structured together? Because again, as we said, it's it, there's not a a main you know antagonist and protagonist. We've got a you know we've got an ensemble cast uh, working together, and then ultimately starting to to splinter and fracture. So we don't have you know typical you know rising action to the big conflict. If if anything, the big conflict is sort of when the group has that that breaking apart uh, that's driven by by Jack's success. But you know before that even we start to see you know all the setups for everybody and who they are. We see moments with uh, Allison you know doodling and drawing in her book, and then even when we get to the sure. point where they're working on uh, submitting a, a writing package to, to Weekend Live, you know, that, that Jack can, you know, sort of, you know, maybe, you know, get to somebody. Even then she's talking about the, the visual elements and wanting to, you know, maybe include some illustrations and with, you know, with, with her submission, which you think about that makes no sense. You've got a sketch comedy show. Why would you be providing illustrations? It's, it's, you know, all, all words. Uh, but seeing those, those bits and pieces and, you know, she even tells a story about when she's explained what her book is, uh, about, which is, you know, this girl from this small town, that's a, a sculptor and the whole town gets together and, and gets money yeah. to, so she can go to the big, you know, sculpting, you know, college or whatever and then she gets there and she never sculpts again because she's so intimidated and you see that right. as this this reflection autobiographical. yes very autobiographical and gives us a lot of insight into allison and what she's going through so when we ultimately see her 
drop the, you know, manuscript for the book in the mail. It's she's finally gotten to that point. We she's moving on to that's her path. Probably it's moving away from the improv troupe to embrace what it is that she's probably most passionate about because we see it throughout the story again and again. And that's sort of her core where she she comes from. So it's it's the logical progression for her. And it's she spends a little bit of time in the commune there. But ultimately, no, she's not going to be there for a long time. And then with with Bill, we get his relationship with his father, which at first really threw me off because we, you know, we have this scene with Bill and his talking with his dad after, you know, one of the improv shows and his dad asks him if he's, you know, still selling hummus at the grocery store. Right. And he lies. And he lies because, again, doesn't want to, you know, admit that, well, in his father's eyes, is he successful or not? Right. And we so we have that right. dynamic. And I thought, what's what's the payoff going to be for this story? And that that's that's the one character arc I think I struggle with perhaps the most, because then his father's in an accident, which takes him out of the story and i thought is this just well how do you how do you struggle with it why why is it a struggle for you i think for me it was consistent with the serious drama that was actually being portrayed in this film i I actually liked it well i guess it's it uh, the plotting just felt awkward to me of introduce dad have him basically written out because he's in a an accident you know we have i guess i could just see the pieces uh, the second time of you know dad mentions oh he's bought this space and he's going to turn it into like a what is it a cosmetic store or something like that he's got this space and then oh he's in an accident out of commission so then when he passes away then we now have a space for the commune to to move into because they've been kicked out of their prior location i guess it just seemed a little too convenient for the story and it works for the story but it didn't give me enough as far as bill as a character and growth and him there, there is some stuff with, I guess the resolution with this relationship with his father of not feeling embarrassed or awkward about what he does that you know, to not be seen as a disappointment, but to then, you know, take something that his father, you know, gives him and, and to do something with it. That's, you know, more constructive. He talks about being a space for the community, for kids that are interested in theater or comedy. So of giving back to the community and it's there. It just, it, felt a little bit too forced, I guess, in terms of getting the pieces there. Well, and and you bring up a good point because it it definitely is convenient. It's definitely forced. It's definitely a constructed part of the story, especially when you look at the punchline that they use for it throughout the film, which is the slurring of his Mm. almost dying father saying thank you, right? Yes, So you get that sense. That's the interesting sort of irony about this film is that it's all written. There really isn't thing. There aren't things. There doesn't appear to be things that are improv, even though it is a film about the subculture of improv comedy and the grind of being a comedian that starts in improv and moves on. Uh, but there doesn't appear to be much ad libbing because all of those elements are so constructed within the story. I don't have a problem with them because I think that's the nature of this drama and that's why they put it there but i definitely see your point about it feeling forced if you if you don't want to be taken on this journey then you're going to be frustrated with that for sure so i i want to talk about sort of one of our our key characters and i think she's probably one of the most interesting which is the character of sam because we see we see most i think we get a lot into her character because of her relationship with jack but we also see a lot more of her 
her practicing her craft as they're going through the prep for the for the audition. Uh, she's the right. she's the one. So when we meet the commune, she's the one that steps forward. Uh, you know, to ask the audience, she's the, leader, she's, she's the leader to say, okay, has anybody had a particularly bad day? And that, that kicks things off. And so that response from the, from an audience member, you know, it's, it's to her. So how is she going to lead the group in that? And yep. I, she is the one that is for me the most, I don't want to say puzzling, but she's into the improv comedy and she is content to stay there. And she, she tells Jack at one point that, you know, being invited, invited to join the commune was the greatest day of her life. And, and she's happy to stay there. I got to tell you something. Yeah. I didn't. What are you going on? What, what is it? I didn't go to my weekend live audition. I just didn't go. Why? I mean, why? Why wouldn't you go? I don't know. I freaked out. I, I, I mean, life I is I so short, and I feel like you have to do things that you believe in, or what is the point of all of this? All right. yeah. And I watched that show, and it's not for me. I like my life how it is right now. I like the commune. I know, Sam. I know. The day you guys asked me to join the commune was the greatest day of my life. It's the greatest day of my life. Well, honey, you can't, you can't do improv forever, okay? It just, it ends, all right? I, and I don't want it to end either, but it will. It just will. We've got to jump to the next lily pad. But I like this lily pad. Honestly, you should be on this show. You'd be better than me. Okay? Well, and if you remember... Going back, you think about when Miles, Mike Birbiglia's character, is telling a story, I think, to one of his students that he's trying to get into the bed um, about her past. He's giving her backstory and saying that she was this prima ballerina type person who had a full ride to school. And he says that that didn't work out. But then she found this. It's kind of consistent with her character, right? that she would actually um, have the opportunity or had been through this opportunity to be at the upper echelon of some artistic profession. But she's learning about herself over time that no matter how good she is, which she's already expressed in one medium, uh, and now has come here and she has the opportunity to audition for Weekend Live, the Saturday Night Live um, mock-up, uh, and she chooses not to because she's found her own happiness. I think that's a profound statement, and I think it's consistent with her character. I think it's really interesting, and her journey about finding her own definition of success in this movie is probably the most interesting character journey for me in watching this movie. Oh, definitely, because... As even she see there are several points throughout the movie where she'll be talking with the other characters and say, well, you know, why are you worried about that? Or you, you've got the commune. I mean, what, right. what better thing right. there? This is the thing right. for her. This is her Shangri-La. Yes, it it is. It is her Shangri-La because for her there's, yeah, there, that's, she's achieved everything and she's perfectly content. And the, the thing that I am asking myself is, you know, Jack tries to, to lure her back to say you know to try to get her another audition you know that convince her this is the next logical step and for her she's you know we he says she would she's better than him and and i wonder if she were to audition you know is is she really the greatest of all of them 
and she's content with sort of the simplest version of the you know dream of of being a comedian is to be content with just the the improv which i guess is a little bit more risky you're putting yourself out there without a script but really to a really small audience and for things that don't endure because the entire nature of improv is once it's it's done it's gone and forgotten it's not preserved right. anywhere uh, so I, I, I wonder if, you know, we, we see her prepping her Catherine Hepburn, you know, voice, yeah. all of those things a lot of time in her, she's in deep, you know, is she really the best of them? And is it, is it okay for her to not push and challenge herself to that, to just say, but this is, it's about my happiness. And if that's what makes her, her happy and then taking over, you know, class for miles to actually, you know, start teaching people. Um, if she feels fulfilled, even if there's potential for her to be the, the greatest of all of them, but if, if that's what keeps her happy, if that's what her contentment is, is, should we accept that and say, yes, that is a great thing for someone to just find what makes them happy and, and just accept that. Well, I love that sentiment and I'm on her side. I'll say that like <laughs> just for my own personal belief structure. But outside of that, I think the the interesting thing about this movie is that it shows us all the different levels. It shows us, you know, how life events can knock you completely off kilter with, you know, Bill's father's death. Or it can show you how you reach an ultimate compromise and you do what Miles does and actually moves into a completely different lifestyle with uh, an old flame and her and her uh, a child that she has. Uh, and then you see the other, the stories of success where someone's doing exactly what they wanted and they, and they get that and that, you know, it's not 100% happiness there either. It's still a challenge. And then you have uh, you have Sam who finds her own de definition of, of success. And then you also have this other character, um, you know, and she actually is gets this different type of success where she's now come in and is now going to be a writer. But she was trying to be an actress before. I think it's really interesting that you see the spectrum of different sort of human aspiration, which is the word you used. And I think that's great for this here to describe what all these people in performance were trying to do and how they all are sort of challenged to find out what their own definitions of success are. I think that's really the amazing thing about this movie. And it does it in a really great way in this sort of subcultural realm of improv comedy that the, the Tammy is the other, the character who becomes the writer um, or Lindsay is the name of the character. Lindsay. Tammy Saker is the actress yeah. who plays her. Yeah. And it, what's really interesting is they, they find, they find success and in, in define it in different ways. And there's one, you know, miles I think is the one that is, you know, keeps telling the story of, Oh, he auditioned way back when, and he was just inches away from, from getting in. It. It's sort of a, a running joke, you know, within the group of, yeah. you know, he, he had his chance and he was really close and maybe he'll get that chance again, but he's overlooking his, his biggest success because once Jack makes it, you know, miles points out, like, look, I, I taught you. And I thought, and the teacher, yeah, yeah, why can't Miles celebrate? He is, he is the talent, and when it comes to teaching, and he he wants the yeah. he wants the glory for himself. But if you can take somebody and and teach them to be good enough, then make that your thing. That's glorious, make that That's your thing. Glorious. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but he doesn't because he wants that success for himself, and he's not looking. You know, he's looking over the fact, and he even walks away from the classes. He hands them over to Sam, and I thought. You're doing something well. Now you're, well, he's going to find 
his meaning and his joy some, some, someplace else. Right. Yes. Right. And, and I, and I describe that as an ultimate compromise, yeah. but I think, you know, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I actually mean that in sort of a, 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 a sort of giving up the fight of de- deciding to sort of to swim with the waves as opposed to cra- fighting against them and, and finding something where you can be good and you can be supported and loved in a way that you maybe never expected to before. I think, I think that's a special part of the story as well. Just relax. Where were you? I was out here. Doing what? I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of my coworkers. What does that mean? I got the writing job on weekend live. Motherfucker! They gave it to you? You didn't even tell us you were submitting that. That's so weird. We showed you our packet. We showed you our shit, and you didn't even say a I thing. I didn't think I was going to get it, and I was embarrassed. That is so shameful. And you're not even going to last five minutes there, because you have no work ethic. Bill's right. You've taken nine years, and you still haven't finished your doodle book. I think what kills me is that you don't even know what it's like to work. You've had everything in your life handed to you on a silver platter. I didn't get handed this. I turned in a writing submission and it was good. No one wants to say this, Miles. You don't have it. You were never inches away from anything Fuck you, Lindsay. You won't, because I'm not 22 and I'm not your student. Getting back to, as you said earlier, you, you wouldn't know who you would recommend this to. I mean, we, we talked into sort of what this movie has to say about, you know, perhaps in the creative area, but I think that is this something that can translate to something meaningful for for people that are in a career path where they're feeling frustrated or unfulfilled or they, they have some ambition that they're constantly falling short of and it's it's creating misery in their life, is this uh, a therapeutic movie? Is this something that can help people reflect on their own sort of situation and whether or not they're content and looking at, as a lot of these characters do, finding something else that's in there that maybe they should embrace that can bring them that joy that they're seeking sort of in a misdirected way. You know, I think you would hope so. I think you would, I would think you would hope that would be the purpose of the film, but I don't, I I actually kind of don't think that's possible. I think it's rooted so deeply in this performance show business subculture that I think it's going to be tough unless you have a love or an appreciation for those things. And that's why I kind of started my story talking about how I, I, I understand and, and really like the sort of improv comedy culture. If you don't like it, <laughs> this movie is going to be really tough for you. If you, if you don't understand the sacrifices that these folks are making, or you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't feel comfortable making those sacrifices or, uh, your own sacrifices don't, you don't find a parallel in that, then this movie is going to feel very, thin to you. It's not going to feel deep. It's going to feel like these people should get a job, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, they yes. should stop whining because there's a whole lot of that. I mean, there's a whole lot of sad sack about the fact that I didn't get picked for the baseball team. Like, yeah. and, and that's a metaphor here. But I think, 
I think it's going to be difficult for those people. That being said, as we're talking about it here, I think, you know, we are a podcast about film and about people who love film and who love show business and, and, and love this kind of culture. So I think anyone who listens to our show and our podcast might find that drama to be heartwarming and might be able to take that leap that you're talking about and say, you know, the struggles that I'm having in my career, though they might be not about show business, uh, I might be able to redefine success in my own way along the spectrum. So um, as long as you're listening to this show, I think, or if you care about show business or about movies, and especially about comedy, then uh, then this is probably going to be a good movie for you. So I guess the, the takeaway is it's not a comedy but if you nope. if you enjoy nope. the field of comedy beyond just pure entertainment, but sort of appreciate the the craft and art of constructing comedy, yeah. this drama may be a story that's interesting for you to take this journey with these characters. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You have to you have to have a, an inclination towards the nuts and bolts of what it takes to be involved with show business. But I, I think you're right. I think if you love comedy and, and you love putting on a show, this is going to be a lot about uh, a career arc uh, in that realm. Okay. So that that makes it perhaps a bit of a challenge to rank because usually when ranking, we think about totally. just, you know, what's something that I, it's going to be an enjoyable, you know, for, for me, I have to balance out those two pieces of what's just pure entertainment that I can put on any time and just be purely entertained and have a great time and take, take that journey. And then there, there are other films that are entertaining, not something you're going to watch as frequently, but for me, I like to look at uh, the meaning of it. Is, is there some weight to what it has to say? Is it saying something important and doing it in a an artful way that is entertaining, but not something that you're going to put on just, you know, every so often? So where does this fall? And and for me, it, it ended in a really odd place. Um, oh, for me too. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's because it's, I can't think of another film quite like this where I'd say, oh, it should be right alongside that film because this it's, it's similar. The The tone of this one makes it really a challenge for me because it it's not, I don't want to say it's a chore to, to watch this movie, but it's not necessarily a, a pleasant experience because as I said, I, I think sometimes it could be, it's a bit, it's a bit, bit depressing and challenging. Uh, although there is a gut, you said a gut yeah, punch. I think that's, yeah. that's accurate. About so it, so. it, it ended up for me as, it's slightly above halfway. It's at 63%. Okay. So it's at uh, 123 out of 336. And it ends up in this really weird spot. It is in between at 122, one of my favorite movies from the 80s. I just recently we watched this. Uh, I think it was just this past weekend with uh, with the family for family movie night. Night of the Comet. I don't know if you... Oh, I love that. Oh, movie. yes. Thank you. Okay. Great movie. <laughs> Terrifying for me. And I don't like scary movies, but no. I love that movie. Exactly. Such a great yes. film. And then um, number 124, which was, I, I want to say it may have been a trailer pick. I remember Andy maybe talking about this. A movie called The Endless, which is okay. a story... I don't know that It's one. the story of, of two brothers that were, when they were younger, they were in this sort of communal cult. And they, for lack of a better word, escaped um, okay. and are struggling to to make it sort of out in the outside world and go back to just visit for a day. Totally weird place for this movie. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, really, yeah. really strange. So how do you feel about that? 
Well, I mean, 63% in that spot. How do you feel about it? Well, that's about right. Because I put this at like a three star. And that's sort of right around in that range where it's in this weird middling ground where there's a mishmash of things around it that, that are enjoyable. Some that I will watch again and again, like Night of the Comet. Some that I may only watch one or two more times the, the endless and probably not for a while because it's it's a challenging film. It has some interesting things to say. And I think Don't Think Twice really mirrors those two things. There, there, there's sequences that I could probably take out of there and say, yeah, this is entertaining. I could watch this. Some of the improv pieces, not uproariously causing me to laugh, but still entertaining versus some sequences like when the entire team just really throws each other under the bus and blows up at each other is not a pleasant scene to watch just because everybody's heart is right out there. So for me, it's probably the appropriate place. I don't know that I would have said, oh yeah, this is the perfect place, but seeing where it ends up, it feels right to me. I have to tell you, it was really difficult for me to rank too. So I think it's it's really interesting. And I want to tell you a little bit about the journey. I actually ranked it probably six times because I wasn't comfortable with when it la- where it landed. The first two times I ranked it exactly the same way. And it came up in 63% for me as well. But it... But the place where it came up, I, I just wasn't comfortable with where it ended up. It ended up between Contagion okay. at uh, 69 for me and Hail Caesar at 70. <laughs> and I and, and that didn't make any sense yeah. to me. And that's like Steven Soderbergh, right. who's my favorite director. And then, uh, you know, the Coen brothers. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. So I had to keep ranking it. I did it twice. It ended up there twice. But then as I went back around, uh, the, the first, you know, the midway point, the first battle for me on... Um, on this on flick chart with any movie right now is Panic Room, and it's a it's a polarizing film for me. I don't think it's a great movie, but I also you know I think it's kind of interesting. That's kind of why it's there. But so what happens to me is that when I go back through this, I say, okay, let's throw it in and see where it ends up. If it doesn't end up there, and where it ends up after that, then is right in the middle of a whole bunch of the trailer rewind movies that I like, but okay. I can't put higher in the movie yes. ranges, right? Yes. So. Where it, and this is where I leave it sitting. And now this is at 27%. And I don't feel 27% about this movie. This isn't a one and a half star or two star movie for me. It's better than that. But it's below Odd Thomas. I think I like Odd Thomas more. And it's above the Congress, right? Okay. Those are two trailer yeah. rewind movies that we went. But so it just shows you how Flickchart kind of makes everything skew a little bit. I'm not comfortable with it in that high range, but I'm not really comfortable with it down here either. So I'll probably say it's a two and a half star or a three star movie as well. I liked it, but I think it belongs in this lower range for me only because it's a smaller movie. It's not as complex as some other things that I've seen. In general, the filmmaking aspects of it were not really what the film was about. There was one particular shot that I loved, but other than that, you're you're really focused on the story and those things that you mentioned about it being a little bit constructed, a little bit forced at times, you definitely recognize that in this film. I think it's a great project and a fun movie to watch if you care about the movies, but that's why it ends up down in this lower spot for me. It says it's 27. I'll give it three stars and a like, though. All right, so we're, we're both in the same place then at three stars. Just where it fits into our flick chart is is going to sort of vary greatly because for me it's in the, the top half. So what, what's interesting about... Yeah, it's so hard to yeah, uh, What's interesting about my chart is for the past few films... My my middle seems to fluctuate what it's going up up against, but if I put it into the top half, it's hitting dodgeball. So it's hitting what I call the dodgeball block because I that is a block. I just love that movie. So Ben Stiller, yeah, uh, on that, and it's just right. it's such a great comedy that I that's a movie. I think if you're going to be above this, I've got it's 
got to be a, a great piece of art Four or five stars or just yeah, yeah just something because and so right now a lot of these movies are hitting this dodgeball block which i think is pushing stuff which is keeping some things collected to the middle which is which is fine and it, eventually something's going to hit a break point and things will shift and, and sift out differently but sure you know that's that's where we are but i think yes a three-star film makes sense three stars and a like for this movie yep not necessarily for everybody, but I think, as, as you said, for you know people that are going to listen to a movie podcast that enjoy hearing discussion and a little bit of behind the scenes and just how things get assembled and whether that's the entertainment industry or filmmaking or even just you know stand-up comedy, this is going to be the type of film for you, knowing that you're not walking and expecting big laughs. Let me uh, quickly talk about the shot that I love, yes, too. Yes. Um, just uh, it was at the end of the film. I really I struggled to notice a lot of the filmmaking aspects of the film throughout. And I think that's probably a credit to the film filmmakers in that they were letting the story speak for itself. But as uh, they send as the troop, as the, the commune sends Keegan-Michael Key away, he gets into a limo to head back to the city to go back to his weekend live sh- shift. And uh, as it drives away, the other members of the commune are on a porch and there is a static shot that allows the limo to enter the shot where you have all of the members of the commune visible in the shot. The limo goes through, the camera does not move. The limo moves through the frame, covering up the entire frame. So obscuring it with the car together, you don't see any of the members of the commune as Jack, this person who has now taken over this success and, and won his spot on Weekend Live, drives away. You are you are sort of blocked by the vision of his limo taking him to his job. And then as it the camera doesn't move, it allows the car to leave the screen, to exit uh, the frame on the left, and you're left with the commune there on the porch, just as they were before. I think that's really smart filmmaking. I You know, Mike Berbiglia was the director on this, uh, which I think is great. The... Um, the lead, the the DP on it, his name was Joe Anderson, um, and I think, again, didn't notice the camera work a lot through the film, but that kind of shot I think is super smart and really kind of goes with the whole aspects of the story too. Um, that kind of thing, again, no camera movement, but it's a it's a way to tell the story visually, and I was I was very impressed with that shot. You know what? I don't know that I was paying attention to that because again, not a film where stylistically it's drawing attention to itself. I think a lot of totally a lot not. of pieces. I think when we're you know, when they're in there with the commune, uh, you know, the camera's, camera's moving, you know, sort of in the stage area between them, very f- fluid to sort of that, I guess, you know, documentary yeah, style, you know, in, lots, in lots there of, with them. But then a lot of, a lot of other movie. pieces, just, you know, I would say, you know, standard setup, here's your, your master and here's the, you're shooting from this side and getting your coverage and, and doing what, uh, the basics of, of what you need to do. Uh, but I yeah, I think I smell a third viewing for you, <laughs> but yeah, I, go back and watch go, that shot. Go, it's go back it. and watch the end. I, I, I will have to you do that because I, I back. that's, that's really close well, to the end of the movie. And I, and I love when there's something that does that because it's again, visually reinforcing sort of the theme of, of that moment, uh, which may not be something that everybody pays attention to, but when you highlight something like that, again, shows sort of the, the artfulness of, of doing something well and paying attention even to little details can just help create those resonances uh, in what the content has done and how the the form is, is getting it there. So, you know, I think uh, we've, we've really 
not thought twice about this film. Maybe we've thought three or four <laughs> times uh, about this. We've broken the rules of, That's of right. improv. Improving our show the whole way. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's time to to wrap it up and, and finish our conversation because the movie has ended and, and so is our conversation. It's time to yeah. look at what's next. And we've got the, the film board, uh, The Predator, up around the, around the corner. And I am... The Predator, big movie. Yeah, and I'm... Uh, you know, trying to keep an eye out for for what else because we're going to start creeping into Oscar territory. I think with releases starting to come up in the fall, so trying to keep my eyes out. But it seems like we're in a, a bit of a lull uh, this this time of year. I did get out and see uh, Black Klansman, trying to you know predict what the Oscar picks are going to be and, and trying to catch some of those. But there's nothing flying high on my radar right now, but that does mean i got to catch up on a bunch of TV that I've been slacking off on. So that's uh, some, of, some of my, my viewing uh, upcoming. What about you? Anything uh, highlights of uh, what you've got on your viewing schedule coming up? Well, I am super focused on The Predator. I, uh, you know, I'm going to see it uh, probably early tomorrow. I was going to try to do a late night show tonight, but I think I'm going to see it early tomorrow. And I'm super excited for uh, Sterling K. Brown and Keegan-Michael Key and Olivia Munn. I'm a huge Olivia Munn fan from back in her G4 days. Um, I think it looks I, – I, this totally wasn't on my radar, and I'm a huge fan of the original Predator movie. Uh, but I think it looks clever, I think, it, and it's Shane Black. I think it could be really interesting, and I'm hoping – and they take the story to a little bit of a new depth and then keep the sort of light uh, action, the light feeling, uh, a light approach to action because I think that's some of the beauty of that Predator. And I, I mentioned uh, last month that the original Predator movie was the first rated R movie I ever saw. So oh, I feel like I'm, okay. I'm doing a little bit of a bookend here on there, this one to, to see this go. movie. All right. And for all our listeners out there, if you haven't already, please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It helps other film fans discover us. And as we discover them and they discover us we build our own little group sort of like the commune it's like finding a new home until someone hits it big and and moves on have uh you know tommy handsome's got his film that you know he may be that big star three years down the road we'll be like hey tommy how about how about how about throwing some our way well, that's right. You know, uh, but the best thing that you can do is watch a movie with a friend and then sit down and have a conversation about it. And if it's one that's been discussed on any of our shows, please let us know. We love hearing from you. You can even tell us if you've had a particularly bad day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, Trailer Rewind is a part of the next real series of podcasts, which is brought to you by a hardworking group of film lovers. And I want to give special thanks to Pete Wright for taking time out of his busy schedule. He's got this. He's got... Uh, film board. He's got the main series. We've got sat bats. He's got a whole slate of things to be dealing with this weekend. And I want to thank him in advance for editing this into a coherent conversation and precisely placing our little audio clips that we've selected from the movie. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Pete. We love you. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. 
If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. 